0: amen. Well, um, good morning, church. I hope you're doing well today. And uh, yeah, the worship is just so, so sweet. Um, you know, before I jump in today, I just want to share with you a couple of things. Um, obviously, you heard there's a smattering of things happening here at Antioch. And uh, I know mean, you haven't heard smattering in a while, right? <laughs> uh, I, think it's, I think it's an actual word, but we'll see. Um, But um, I just wanna highlight a couple other pieces going on. Um, This next Sunday, so I believe that's gonna be February 19th, we have a dear friend who is coming to town, his name is Joe Ewan, and uh, uh, he is gonna be preaching on Sunday morning. Joe's from Scotland, and so if you ever wanna meet someone from Scotland for real, and and like, like we always say, there's always a special anointing on people from Scotland when they just talk. Just, you just, you feel pulled in. Like, yes. Like, if we said the same thing up here, you'd be like, yeah, amen, Joe. Tyler, I'm not so sure, but it sounds better coming from Joe. And uh, that's how I feel. I'm like, I love hearing him share. We call him Papa Joe, and he's gonna be coming uh, here next Sunday morning. Um, And I just told Joe, I said, Joe, I just want you to pray and seek the Lord, and you just come in and preach whatever you wanna preach. So we're taking a pause in the James series, and we're just gonna insert Papa Joe, and he's just gonna preach, all right? Um, uh, and, and he has earned the credibility of doing that after serving the Lord for, I don't even know how many decades now. So Joe's coming Sunday morning, but it gets better because Sunday night from 5 to 7, Joe's going to be doing a prophetic equipping for us as a church. All right? So we want you guys to come. Uh, and hey, if you're like, man, I want my kids to be equipped and prophetic, bring your kids it's gonna be five to seven. It's gonna be a lot of fun. If you're thinking, I don't what is the prophecy prophetic? You should also come because he's really gonna unpack it. And really, in many ways, God has really gifted him and anointed him. And and that's how he's really been serving the body of Christ for about 40 to 50 years. Has been really through the prophetic. He always comes to our discipleship schools. He's gonna be praying over our ADS class and, and ministering to them on Monday. So just really excited Joe's coming to town, so please be here next Sunday. And the other thing I just want to highlight is that, yes, the women's retreat is happening two weeks from now, and the deadline is in 48 hours. So again, I just want to reiterate that if you are a junior or senior in college, young adult, family zone, women going all the way up, that we would encourage you to come. If money is an issue, then I want you to talk to your life group leader and say, hey, Money's an issue, this is why. I don't know if I can afford the 100 bucks or whatever. And then they'll get that back to us and we'll find a way to get you there, okay? So we would encourage you to come. It's 24 hours, but I, I will go out there and give my Tyler guarantee uh, and just say that it will be, it will be transformational for your heart, uh, period, if you go. Because of the women that are gonna be there, the environment that, that is gonna be created uh, for you to really be ministered to and get to minister to one another and would encourage you to do it. We've only done a couple women's retreats in our 13-year history as a church, and so you don't want to miss that. All right, <clears throat> well, I know it's Super Bowl Sunday, but I'm not gonna really talk about that because <laughs> if you wanna watch it, you can go watch it later. Um, uh, and so I don't have any f- clever jokes about Super Bowls. I have in the past. I just, I'm not doing that today. So I don't have any commercials or any Christian church commercials for you. I don't have any stats. You can look all that later because it seems like our nation is consumed by it. So, but be happy watch the Super Bowl, and I don't really care who wins, because uh, it's not a and So, let's just be honest. If A&M was the Super Bowl, then my, we might take this Sunday morning a little different direction, but they're not. So, we're just trying to get that national championship since 1939. So, we're hanging on. But I'm believing God before 2039, a and going to get theirs. Amen? Come on. Let's go. Have faith, people. Drink the Kool-Aid. I've been drinking it since 2001. I'll drink it again this next August. And just, this is the year. And if you're a good ag, you're gonna, this is the year. This is it. You know what I'm saying? Just be an optimist, not a pessimist. All right. But that's what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about James. Open your Bibles up to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. That's where we're going today. Billy did a great job last week unpacking the latter part of James 1. Um... And uh, just really excited about this series. If you don't know much about uh, James, he's the half brother of, of of Jesus, and um, and so he got to have an interesting uh, uh, look at the life of Christ. Uh, he um, really uh, walked with him, knew him, became a leader of the Jerusalem uh, Church. And James is what I like to call a straight shooter. He's very black and white with his tone, with his. With his language, there's not a whole lot of interpretation, explanation needed with the writings of James. Unlike when I read Isaiah or Jeremiah, I'm thinking, what is happening here? You know, like, are we going literal? Is this metaphor? Is this, what is happening? Okay, but James, there's not a whole lot of mystery with James. He's just pretty straightforward. So let's just jump into James chapter 2, 1 through 4. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith All right, so let's just kind of unpack this. Really, this entire passage we're walking through, James chapter 2, 1 through 13 this morning, is really talking about the sin of partiality and how that plays itself out. So let's, let's define partiality, okay? Um, uh, it is favor shown to one person other, over another, right? So you could call it favoritism. But particularly in the biblical sense, it's usually used on the basis of external factors, such as their uh, socioeconomic uh, level or their ethnic background. That is when partiality is most used, right? So let's look at Deuteronomy 1, 17. It says, you shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me and I will hear it, right? This is Moses giving instruction to the people from the Lord and saying, this is how we're going to rightly judge our own people and our actions, and when people have conflicts and situations, this is how we will do it, which means any judge put in that situation of hearing the different sides needs to be impartial, right? We know that in theory, but that is really, in our justice system needs to be needs to be in correlation with this to say that a judge, we need to be able to trust they're in partial, that they're able to hear both sides, hear the evidence and the facts without prejudging the situation based off what the person walks in with, right? What they're wearing or, or who they're with. But it's very hard to do that, right? As humans, we unknowingly to us are in many ways judging one another based off experiences, right? If I encounter someone like you that I've encountered before, it's hard for me to put that in a category over here and say, well, actually, you could be different. But, the, but even subconsciously, I'm thinking through, well, you're probably going to be like so-and-so, right? Or this situation is probably going to turn out the same way. And oftentimes we know this because it really takes having, right, if we have like a bad experience with someone or something negative, it takes what? A, a positive experience to really kind of overcome that and to change our mindset and our viewpoint. And so partiality here is James is talking about, and in this, and this instance, is also mentioned this idea in Acts chapter 10, all right? It says so, in verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, Peter was a man that it took a while for him to understand that Jesus was coming not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile, right? Peter had to understand that, wait a second, and even God revealing this idea to him in this crazy dream, right? That in, 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 this, in this imagery of this blanket coming down and, these, and all these different meats and things on it and, and Peter's being talked to by the Lord and he comes to realize in this crazy vision, wait a second, God is trying to get to my heart, which is, hey, it's every man and woman and child. It's every race. It's Jew and Gentile. Everyone, if they come into Jesus, he's dying for everybody. Not just for a few. Not just for a select crowd. Or just for an elite. Or for a certain skin color. Or for a certain nationality. He is coming for everyone. God shows no partiality. You see, um, there was to be no favoritism on account of our birth, right? Our family tree, or our rank in society, or our wealth, or our apparel, right? And we have to remember that Jesus chose his disciples, he chose them, and they were not from the high ranks, they were actually from the lowly ranks. And we'll get into it in just a minute, but we have to remember that we, as we read through the lens of, as we read through the lens of James, he's not, he's not writing from the perspective of modern-day America, right? This is like a couple thousand years ago, okay? Like, he's not writing from our perspective, but it's very hard for us to read the New Testament at times or the Old Testament and get ourselves in those shoes to better understand and deeply feel what's happening and why they are writing that way. We'll get into that in just a minute, all right? But So you have to remember that Jesus chose, from amongst the poor in many ways, he chose his friends. He chose his disciples. Now, in our society, again, I think, um, many of us are aware there are, we are influenced by many things, right? Um, today, right? Super Bowl, I'll throw it in here for you, right? The Super Bowl, I heard this last week, I think that it's about $7 million is the price tag for a 30 second ad, right? Seven mil, I, I would like them to donate seven million to Antioch. <laughs> and, and for 30 seconds, that'd be great. Um, they're not gonna do that though, so. But $7 million, now that's a lot of money. But obviously, somebody knows something I don't, which is they believe that $7 million will be well spent in order to advertise, in order to get you to buy something that you don't want, have maybe even heard of, and don't need. No. Right? That's what advertising is. It, it is getting you to get something that five minutes ago, you were feeling fine. But now it's an Instant Pot that can, oh, I gotta have that. Right? Or something that can make your life easier or quicker. Oh, I, I need to have... Really? Because five minutes ago, you didn't know it existed. But now you need it. Yeah. Right? No, my car was fine until I saw that car. And that car, I need that car. Right? And so advertising, it's like, it's not that complicated. Right? But, but we are so easily influenced, right, by those things in our hearts that are kind of desiring this and desiring that. And our thoughts are influenced, right? We can become partial. We can be persuaded. Now, listen, I I just, you know, it's gonna be just a little uncomfortable just for a minute, right? But um, I want you just to look around the room really quick. Look around, just kind of look. Look at people, not with judging eyes. Smile. Hi, how are you doing? Okay, good. Okay, Okay, here we go. All right, now. um, You know, I hate to do this, but hey, let's take James 2 here comparison to like, hey, we all come to a room together, right? Do we come here on a Sunday morning, right? And it's like, hey, when we walk in those doors, are we looking at like, oh, look what she's wearing, right? Oh, look what he's got. Oh, look who's with him, right? Oh, look at that new wearable. Man, I wish I had one of those, right? Man, that's a lot of jewelry going over there. Why does she do makeup? Why does she not do makeup? Why is he wearing sweatpants? Did he not know this is church? Maybe sweatpants are cool. That means come as you are. We're cool. We're not going to judge you in that. I'm wearing a suit. Someone's wearing jeans. Like, we walk in this environment. We're all wearing something a little differently. Our hair is a little differently, right? And so, and so here we are walking into this place. And yet I believe that Jesus, when he envisioned his movement and the followers of the way, he envisioned a pretty mixed crowd like this. Now, I think we should get more mixed, right? We're, we're on that journey. But just remember, the ultimate, um, the ultimate mix of humanity is in heaven. That is the ultimate. Because why do we know that? Because what? Because every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation, every people group, every ethnos will be represented in heaven before the throne of God. There are millions, I don't know if it's billions, I'm not even sure what the number's going to be. I just know, though, there's a representation of every type of, 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 of created being and what God made and how he made us and hair colors and sizes and, and groups and where we've lived and on earth. He's going to have that there because that's, his, that's the pinnacle of his creation is the people giving him worship, and there it is, and that's what we are moving towards. Therefore, partiality, you can see, gets in the way of that becoming a reality on earth. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, like, the sin of partiality bleeds into racism. It bleeds into prejudicedness. It bleeds into favoritism. Because Jesus is saying, listen, you need to defer one another. And so, instead of, instead of reserving a seat just for the famous or the influential or the person who's going who's gonna to hook you up, right? Like, we do this in business a lot. Right? Like, favors you know, like, hey, I'm going to do you a favor. You're going to do me a favor. And, and it kind of goes back and forth. Unless you do one for me, I'm not going to do, you know, that whole thing. is like, no, we're called to be impartial. We're called to treat people with fairness, with equity. We're here to please God, not to please man. Right? Like that, that's a business model. That's a godly business model. I'm here to please God, not man. I will serve and love and help and aid and create ideas and, and do different things. It's gonna help our society thrive and, and structures to be strong and, 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 and education to flourish. Like, those are all good things. I believe the hand of God is on the stuff. If we invite him into it, man, God can make anything beautiful and new and, 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 and lovely, but we have to do it with the mindset of, man, this is about pleasing God, not pleasing Man, this is about looking in a room on a Sunday morning and saying, hey, that's okay. Like, what you wear and how you do, that's fine. I can love you in that place, right? <clears throat> because we don't want to become judges with evil thoughts. We don't want that. And I'm not saying this is easy, y'all. You know this. We live in America. I mean, we are like, we are the, we are the kings of comparison, I mean, let's just be real. There's some great things about America. And we also really struggle with like envy and jealousy and pride and comparison and and, and trying to one up our neighbor or friend or someone else. It's just and now you got this influencer thing, which I only want to get into. I mean, it's just like, wow. What? Like, I think that they're influencing Christians more than Jesus. If we could just be honest, like what's influencing you more, the word of God or some 27-year-old wearing cool stuff and telling you to buy it oh, or some rap star or some sports hero that look at, look at this cologne. I should get that cologne because he's wearing it. Yeah. He's only wearing it because they're paying him to wear it. $7 million 30-second ad. Yeah. Without the money, he's not wearing that cologne. He might not even like it. He may be allergic to it. <laughs> but they don't show you that clip. You know, the skin breaking out. Oh, God. <laughs> but thanks for the $7 million. You don't know. We're so easily influenced. Yeah, yeah. I want us to be influenced by Jesus. Yes. Yes. That's what James is saying. Yeah. He's saying, hey, that's, we're trying to be influenced by him. Number one influencer, Jesus Christ. Now listen, many of you know, I, I, I coach baseball, even though I don't really know how to play baseball, um, but I, I coach it, so that's a funny story how God got me there, but here we go. I'm a quick learner, um, but you know, um, so I coach on my son's teams, and, and one of my sons, Ethan, um, on his team, um, I, I'm the bottom line coach, okay? So when it comes to baseball coaching, you know, like any sport you're coaching, whether it's football or soccer, whatever else, um, you have a decision to make in terms of who's gonna play. Like playing time and who's gonna play where, right? So in baseball, it's a big deal. You got nine guys in the field. You've got your batting order. So who's gonna bat in what order? What positions are gonna play in, right? Who's gonna pitch, right? Who's gonna sit the bench this inning? Who's, you know, who's gonna do what, right? Who's gonna start? Everyone wants to be shortstop. It's like in baseball, shortstop. is like the quarterback in football. Who's gonna be shortstop? Everyone wants to be shortstop, you know? And, um, and so, you know, I have a decision to make. Just me with my little pen and paper and filling out my lineup before each game. No parents are involved in that process, the players are not involved, it's just me. Now I have a decision to make. Do I put my son Ethan in the number one spot? Because he's my son? Do I put Ethan at shortstop because he's my son? Do I put Ethan there because you know what, hey, I'm gonna put him there just because he's my son. They call that daddy ball. (laughs) If you've coached, you know that term. Oh, it's daddy ball. And people accused me of that early on, oh man, baseball, daddy ball, that, not my kind of baseball. No daddy ball. I said, Ethan, you will bat last if that's where you need to bat. You will sit the bench if you're not giving me the attitude, and the effort, and you're making errors. I am trying to be as impartial as possible. And some people are like, wow, I can't believe he's not. It's like, yes, if he can't pitch good a game, he's not pitching. That kid'll pitch, right? But I based my decisions based off, Their attitude, right? And their effort and their skill. It's all three. I tell my team, you better give me the attitude, which is a good attitude. You give me any sort of anything else, you're done or you're running sprints, you're sitting on the bench. You can tell your mom and dad why you're running sprints after the game, right? Like, I mean that. I don't owe you nothing. I'm trying to develop it to be a young man. So you're on my team. This is how we're gonna do it, right? You got the skill, praise God. You better have the work ethic too because you didn't get that skill, God made you that tall, made you that fast. You know, you can only do so much working out, right? So like, I see it like that. Therefore, I want to coach impartially. And can I tell you, in the baseball coaching world of youth sports, that is uber rare. It's uber rare. Because usually it's either daddy's doing it or someone who contributes a lot of donations to the team, right? Like they get an extra spot, right? And just, you know, that's how we try to function the church. And Impartial. Uh, you know, like... It doesn't matter to me the networks or connections or where you came from or how. I don't care about that because uh, I don't want to become a judge of evil thoughts. (laughs) Yikes, you know, like I don't want that. You know, like we're all in the kingdom, man. You know, rich or poor, where you come, it doesn't really matter. Like we're in the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ has made it that way and James is reemphasizing his point on how we need to treat One, another. Let's continue on to James chapter two, verse five through seven. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Now, let me give some context. Because in the Bible, in the New Testament specifically, um, we see the poor, right? Mentioned, the poor man, the poor. And again, don't think America. He's not writing about America. He's not writing about modern day. He's writing about these times there. Okay, so let's step back for a minute. Um, In this region of the world, in most regions, they were agrarian societies, right? Mainly, heavily involved in agriculture, right? And that people's wealth was really based in on land how much land you own. But most land was controlled by a few people, right? So kind of think like, you know, in the medieval ages, right? You had like the lords and the nobles owned the land. Then you had like their knights and then you had like all the peasants and they worked the fields, but they didn't own it. They had to, they were like uh, uh, tenant farmers. They had to lease it from the lords or from the kings and no one owned anything. Like remember property rights is kind of like a new idea that came about in America, right? Like for a thousand years, people didn't have property rights, it was through birth, it was through war, is how you were able to own land. So the fact you can own a parcel of land in America, people, I mean that would be mind blowing for people for a thousand years, oh my gosh, I can own a half an acre, I can own this house, like it's mine? Yes, that is crazy. So I just wanna say that is a beautiful thing because then it gives us ownership and stewardship of something that we have to get to, to get to care for, right? But in these societies, that's not the way it went. And that the elite families, that they usually ruled and they owned the lands and everyone else worked for them, okay? So let me just kind of break down for you really quick percentage-wise, because I need you to see this, because I need you to see that it's not just a a select group of of the poor that James is talking about, okay? So um, in these agrarian societies, particularly in in Judea and in Israel at that time, um, this is, again, our historian's estimates, but... Um, I'll just kind of break it down for you. The rulers and the governing class were about 2% of the population, right? Then you had the retainer class, which was about 5%. And these people were usually like small army officials or professional soldiers or uh, household servants, okay? Then you had the merchant class, another about 5%, okay? And these people um, had, had actually worked themselves up from the ranks of just being a peasant who now maybe own their own little business, whether it be, you know, they were a blacksmith or some sort of merchant or had their own ship, that kind of thing. And then you had the priestly class at the time, okay? So you had the priests who were, who were working there um, um, uh, with the temple. Some of them had, had lands, of course, like the Levites. Okay, but that, those first four groups comprised about 15% or so of the population, just to give you perspective. Okay, so the other 85% is this crew. The peasant class, which was really the majority of the people, because you have to remember, there wasn't really like a middle class. It was kind of like everybody owns everything, (laughs) and then huge gap, and then everybody here. Okay, this is like the majority of the people. Um, You also had the, the, the artisan class, which is really similar economically to the peasant class, and they had lower income. And then you had what they called the unclean or degraded class, okay? These people occupied a position in society which was clearly inferior of the masses of the common people. And then you had the expendables. So this is real. This is how they, how they labeled people, the expendables. These people were the bottom of the class system. They were criminals. They were outlaws. They were beggars. They were those that had uh, uh, life uh, illnesses, um, and these were people that really lived really solely off the charity of others. Like, they could not feed themselves. They couldn't take themselves. There were so, such terrible conditions. Okay, so that is the makeup. So, insert Jesus Christ stepping on the scene in Galilee, in Judea, at that time, and he sees a land where about 85% of the people can barely have enough bread to eat. Remember, we say bread, like, as in they got barley, not wheat. Like, wheat was for the wealthy. They got barley. I haven't had barley, but I don't think it's as tasty as wheat. Okay? Um, They they didn't get the fruits and vegetables and meats. They didn't get no five course, right? They didn't get all the food groups. Okay? They, They were lucky to get something else besides that basic sustenance every once in a while. So insert Jesus stepping on the scene and he immediately starts ministering to the poor, which was like 85% of the population. It was like almost everybody. You know, it's like, okay, this is like everyone. And so they are desperate for someone to say, is there a way out of this? Because I don't see any hope. We got no ownership. We got no rights. I'm treated as nothing I am, I am, people throw dirt on me, rocks at me when I try to ask for money because I'm just trying to feed my family. I'm scolded or I'm beaten by soldiers. and Like, these are the people that Jesus came to love on and minister to, which is why he starts this out, James starts out by saying, hey, the rich and the poor, and he's distinguishing them between these two because he's saying, wow, this is how we've treated, this is how we've treated these people, but God is saying they're all part, of the kingdom, And they should be treated as such. You know, you look at that word dishonored, I was curious about it because I haven't seen that word much in the Bible and my intuition led me to see that it's only mentioned seven times in the entire Bible and it's translated as to treat dishonorably or treat shamefully, okay? So to be treated dishonorably or treated shamefully because people were perceived to have no value, No worth, no honor, so dishonor. This word here that James uses is saying, you've dishonored the poor man. It has a greater connotation than this, oh, he felt dishonored, like he felt like offended. No, he is saying the way people have been treated makes them feel so run down, so ashamed, so degraded, so worthless, so devalued. That when you act like that in a setting and say, hey, you sit at my feet or you stand in a corner, I'm saving the spot for this influential person, for the rich guy because of who. It's like you are just, it's like you're throwing salt on the open wound. right? And when you feel so beaten down, right? you feel so low, whatever it is in your life, for someone to come and just to kind of dig in that, you're just like, come on. Like, let me get up and breathe a little bit. We do not want to be a people that are aligning ourselves with that kind of partiality. Because that sin of partiality, it's not just, oh, I played favorites or I put, I put my son number one in the batting order. <laughs> it's like it is to the identity, to the character of the man or the woman that you are dishonoring. You're not dishonoring because they're poor. You're dishonoring because of who they are. And that is cuts way, way deeper. But he continues on in verse 8 through 11. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of all of it. For he, uh, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Now that word fulfill, right, says if you really fulfill the royal law, according to scripture, um, fulfill means that you interpret the scripture correctly and keep the scripture and the commands as required. That's what fulfilled means, right? It's not, it, 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 it is deeper. It is that we are actually obeying what those scriptures say. And you know, in this instance, when James is writing you may think, oh, he's referring to the New Testament. Remember, the New Testament had not been fully written yet and it had not been assembled yet. So he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures, referring to this royal law, right? Because they had not been put together yet. And so the word royal here in the Greek means regal or um, uh, but belonging to the sovereign or to the preeminent king. And so when we think about the royal law, this is like the, the ultimate. It is the highest law of the land. And so when he says it's the highest thing, and he says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself, I want us to remember the Ten Commandments, right? I'm not going to recite them all for you right now, but remember the Ten Commandments, the latter six commandments really can be summed up in one phrase: Love your neighbors yourself. Right? Do not murder. Do you not, right, okay. But the first four could be summed up in what? Love the Lord your God. Right? So when Jesus is asked, right, in the New Testament multiple times, but in Mark 12, hey, sum up, hey, what's the most important one? Right? What's the most important law, the most important command? What does he say? He literally summarizes the Ten Commandments. Is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself, which those ten commandments fall underneath that. So then James is referencing, hey, if you are actually loving your neighbor as yourself, you are fulfilling the royal law, which is the ultimate. It is what God handed down, and then everything else flowed from that. And then when Jesus came, he fulfilled, right? They said, hey, I'm not taking it away, I'm fulfilling it, meaning I have actually met the requirements of it. I have lived it out in my life. Therefore, I can tell you, I fulfilled all the law and the prophets. So Jesus embodies that, and then James references this royal law which we hear right is to to love our neighbor but it's not it's not love our neighbor it's 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 love our neighbor including all these other elements and how that actually plays out loving our neighbor means x means x right we demonstrate it right we are called to love our neighbor as thyself which means we're not going to heap dishonor on ourselves on purpose, right? I'm, I'm not gonna try to bring about shame on myself or this unworthiness on myself. And therefore, if I'm treating someone in that way that I wanna be treated, then all of a sudden I start seeing, oh, the sin of partiality really does create a wedge in my love for a brother or sister in Christ. Another way he's doing he's just calling out a double standard, right? That we don't want to have anything to do with. Um, Verse 12 and 13, he says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. We wanna be people that are under the law of liberty meaning that we are not going to be a church that shows partiality that does favoritism and listen all of us are tempted to do it all the time <laughs> you know it's it's what our world feeds us but i'm telling you that there is a way forward for us as a people to see each other in the ways that god sees us to sees to see one another in the way that jesus sees us and treats us and we're all on that journey but I, I believe that it's possible for us to get a little more narrow than maybe how we've been. You know, like, I, there's, a, there's a place to maybe, like, upgrade a little bit in, like, how we see. And, and, and just to be honest about, man, like, when I am looking at something on my phone or watching something or interacting with someone at work or a friend or someone in my life group, like, to be able to recognize and, and almost just to have this prayer, Spirit of God, Help me see, because I'm, I'm somewhat blinded or ignorant or just numb to what that is. And, and I, I believe if you will actually pray and ask the Holy Spirit, right, who convicts us and leads us and guides us in all truth, like if you'll pray for that, then he'll highlight to you and say, you know what? The way you're, you're actually comparing your kids, you're actually showing partiality to your children. This one over that one, the boy over the girl. Or the younger over the older, the younger or the older over the younger, you're actually showing partiality to people in church leadership. You're actually favoring this over another. You're actually showing partiality within people in your life group. You're actually giving this and, and, and benefit of the doubt here, but not here. And all of a sudden, you start to realize, wait a second, and it's, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be a a, a a judge with, with evil thoughts. I want to be impartial. I want to look and say, man, I can treat you. I want to be able to look at my sports teams or kids or people and say, hey, you matter as much as the next. Like, you are loved. You are cared for. You go and have this seat. You sit here, right? It's, 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 it's the desire to look to the interests of others above your own. That is what he's invited us into this morning. So I want you guys to stand, and I'm gonna invite the band to come on up as we close this morning. Um, you... You know what I love about how James ends this, this, this thought, this passage says, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Man, for me, as I was just going back over this this morning, i just realizing this year, we've, we've talked a little bit about how we want this to be a year of unity. And we get that from Ephesians 4, one through six, and just talking about the unity with God and unity with one another, right? brothers, sisters in Christ here in this house and unity with the greater body of Christ, with the larger church. We want that, but I just, I don't think that is possible if we are partial Be- because partiality is like a wedge, right? I mean, it is. We know that, guys. We, we've done it. We've been there. We've been like, receiving in it and we've, and we've delivered that, <laughs> right? Like it is a wedge to unity, and, and God wants to reveal those places in our hearts this morning and say, hey, where, where am I creating a wedge? You know, like where am I inserting that because of the partiality? And I just, I want us to, to find a deeper place in, in and in a commitment and say, God, would you reveal those places? Here's what I want to do. I just want to invite our life computers. Come on up. Our life computers, come up to the front real quick. And there's gonna be available just to pray for you, but I, I just want to take a moment before, we, before I have you come up, just to take a moment and say, Lord, Um, would you just reveal at least just one place? Lord, what's, what's a place of partiality? Maybe it is with your kids. Maybe it's with roommates. Maybe it's with people in your life group. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's some coworkers. I don't know. But let's just take a moment Holy Spirit, we trust you. You can speak to every one of us at the same time. (laughs) You're not hampered by that. Would you come this morning and just reveal to us, Lord. We need the revealing of our own hearts. We don't even know what our own hearts and minds are are doing half the time. Holy Spirit, come right now. Just reveal. And just when I say reveal, just the, the Spirit of God, he may give you a name. He may put an image in your mind. He may just tug on your heart and just remind you of something you've been doing or, or a way you've been treating someone. I, I don't know. Just God can speak in a thousand ways. But if you just sense him stirring you, sense him kind of revealing something to you, I just want you to feel free just to just initiate with God in that conversation and also just come up here if you want to. Man, these guys are here just to pray for you and just to hear you out. There's no judgment here. You know, like they just want to hear just a bit of partner with you. Hey, let's pray for freedom in that or just be another person just to listen and, and can, can confess that sin to the Lord or whatever you need help on. And so Lord, we just invite you to come this morning. Come and just expose any partiality in our midst. We don't want it. We want to be people of unity. I want to be people that say, we really do love our neighbor as ourselves. So Spirit of God, come this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Just feel free to come on up. These guys are here to pray for you. If there's something else in your heart you need prayer for, come on, they're available, and we'll worship it together.